Hello, welcome to Sean Matthews, The Real Deal. I have a very special guest here today. I'm really excited to speak with him. He is another man I'm having on my podcast. He is the third man that I have on my podcast. And I have to say, ladies, I love you, but I get really special men on the podcast. And today I'd love to introduce him and his name is Alan Stevens. Alan Stevens is an international profiling and communication specialist who has worked with international clients like Disney Films and Gillette and a high profile organization like the Australian Federal Police to help them to understand how people tick. Very fascinating. Alan works with business owners and executives, helping them to understand and engage their clients and prospects, enhancing their presentations and negotiation skills and increasing sales. And with parents and teachers to help them enhance the ability of their children to reach their full potential while improving the uh, experience of the parents, teachers and students. And his latest community initiative is the Campfire Project, we will which will we touch on. The Campfire Project is a safe place for men and women to give themselves permission to tell their stories, to share their experiences and wisdom from all around the world. And we will give you more of the details throughout the, the podcast. So welcome, Alan. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much. And it's a pleasure to be one of the few men that have been on your uh, podcast. <laughs> yes, thank you. I do. I, I'm very picky when it comes to people on my podcast. So um, I'm, I'm very honored, actually, to have you on here today, because there is a lot of value, I believe, that you can give the listeners and the viewers. And um, I'd love to hear more about Alan and, and who Alan Steven, Stevens is. Oh, how long have we got? <laughs> Half uh, an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll start uh, where I am at the moment. At the, um, I live in Newcastle, Australia. I'm a, a grandfather. I've uh, got six grandkids now. My uh, oldest is 16 and my youngest is um, uh, four months old now, or getting on to four months. And I've got three sons that I raised on my own. They were four, 11 and 12 when their mum left. So I've, uh, my whole life has been spending working with people and understanding, and which is why I do the work that I do today. But um, that's uh, a bit of an overview of uh, who I am as a person. Mm -hmm. Very fascinating being a single parent, especially a single father, I'm sure. Yeah, well, see, as a single father, I was running my own business as well. But one of the things I realised was that, well, first of all, I had an appreciation for what single mothers were going through. And mm -hmm. it gave me another chance to look at people and look at myself and respect what other people do, not judge them by their role. Because the only thing that upsets me is when I hear a woman say, I'm just a, a mother or I'm just a housewife. Mm. That is the most important job you can have, mm. is raising children and looking after the family. It's a 24-7 job. And uh, those that work as well, that's a lot on their shoulders. And I experienced that. The difference with me was I'm, you know, I'm a male, which is more about the providing and when we were about the nurturing. So that was my challenge was to learn how to nurture my sons. Uh, whether I did that well enough, I don't, I'm not quite sure, but you'd have to ask them for that one. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, it, it started to give me a better appreciation. Now, as I said, my kids were 4, 11 and 12. 
My mm -hmm. oldest boy now is in his early 40s. Okay. He's about, you know, about 30 years ago. So, um, yeah, I've learned a lot in those years. Yes. A lot of tolerance along the way. <laughs> I can imagine. And I'm sure that you have learned how to nurture as well as provide. Yeah, well, I realised that you need to be able to do both. One of the things I realised, it takes a village to raise children. So one of the things I realised that, and it's not a, a father's job just to turn his sons into men. His father's job is to get other good men around as well and to provide the knowledge of, and wisdom of other people so that the, the boys, if I look at my three sons, they're chalk and cheese and I joke about the fact I don't know what the third one is yet, but uh, <laughs> they're all different to each other. Yeah. And, in the, and none of them are the same as me, mm. which means that the moment they stepped into manhood, they were unique in their own right. And that's one of the things that was important. That's why I needed other men around. But I also had a lot of friends, a lot of female friends as well, who they didn't take the role of being mum, but they were there so the boys could learn from them and to learn respect of women as well. Because I realised that if um, my boys didn't, uh, well, for, in the first instance, respect their mother, then how were they going to respect other women? So after their mother left, it was probably about, it took me a while to get over the fact that we, you know, she'd walked out, but it took about, or oh, would have been, let me see now, about 16, six to eight years later, I'd managed to uh, you know, reconnect and build a new relationship with her so we could co-parent the children. Mm. And so she had her input in there as well. And that way I made sure that the boys respected her because if they didn't, they were going to go through uh, a lot of breakups and finding the wrong women and treating women the wrong way. And you know, I couldn't have that. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And that's amazing that you, you have that with your sons and your you, you talk about that with your sons, even because she left you and when she left mm. you, you, um, you didn't really take that, um, that personally. Maybe you did at the time, but you still wanted your sons to respect her and you mm. still wanted your sons to uh, respect other women. And I think that that's really an important message that respecting women and respecting mm. each other in relationships, no matter what happens. Would you agree that's with it, that? I realise that when parents, you know, they separate and if they have any angst or they, they might be angry at their partner, and I was definitely angry at mine. But mm. one of the things that one of my, the oldest boy, when he was four, 18 years old, said to me, he said, oh, we're lucky to have you. And I went, what do you mean? You know, I'm you know, single father and everything else. I'm working hard and all the rest of it. I don't spend as much time as I could with you. And he goes, oh, but, you know, we've got two houses to go to. We've got mums and we've got yours and neither of you bag each other. And that's when I found out that most of their friends, their mothers were fighting and with their husbands and et cetera. Husband, mm -hmm. Mothers and fathers anchored at each other's throats all the time. And I thought, who's the, you know, the victims in all of that? You know, you might not like your partner, but the end result is if you voice it and if you have angst towards them, the kids are going to pick that up. And the, mm -hmm. the thing is the children will dislike the one who complains the most. So if I was bagging my wife, it wouldn't be long before they would take sides with their mother and I would lose them. So that yes. wasn't going to happen. Mm. Yes, definitely. Uh, I've had a few um, women to, in, in my life, friends and my clients have had the same thing. They, they do go through that, that time that uh, sometimes with relationships, they don't like the, the other half and they tell their their children and then it does affect their relationship for sure um so it. that was a 
Yeah, definitely great point. And I think the listeners will get a lot out of that because some people just don't understand what goes on because they're always in that story of, oh, he said, she said sort of thing. Yeah, well, one of the things I realised was that, you know, people said, well, how did you change your attitude to her? And I said, well, I can keep thinking about the things like walking out and leaving us and everything else. Virtually that was telling me I wasn't good enough to be a husband. I wasn't good enough to be a provider mm. and all of those feelings you get with it. But I also realized that there was something that, you know, what did I get out of the relationship that I wouldn't have got if I hadn't been in the relationship? And that was three boys I love and respect. Mm. They've grown up to be men that I'm really proud of. Mm. And we wouldn't have had them if we hadn't had our union in the first place. And so I can love her for that without needing to be in love with her. And once I realised that, I realised we could then let stuff go and we could change the way we looked at somebody. Mm. And in fact, it was about, well, what, six, seven years ago, she came to me and she said, you know, as I said, my oldest boy was in, well into his 30s then. And mm. she said, I need somewhere to stay for three months. You've got a spare room. Is there any chance I can be a, a lodger for three months? And I went, a lodger and that's it. That'll be fine. Well, she moved out three and a half years later. Oh, wow. Most people think that's insane. How could you do that? No. Well, the good thing is because I'm a profile, I was a little bit naughty while she was with me. I pushed the buttons every now and then to have a bit of a play. So that practicing <laughs> my craft. But outside of that, um, yeah, I, I realized that you, you set up your own environment. You create your own situation. When people say, oh, so-and-so did that to me. No, so-and-so did such and such, but you chose to react in a certain way. And I thought, who's in charge of my emotions? Other people, if I am, if they are, then I'm lost. I'm, what do I do? I've just got at the, everybody else's mercy. But if I'm in charge of my emotions, I'm the one who's in control. And I can choose to how I respond to things. And mm. yeah, I'm no saint. I will uh, you know, I'll push buttons every now and then. And it'll, you know, get the raw emotions will start to come out. And, uh, but I can che- uh, get it in check very quickly. Mm. And it just comes from practice. Mm, definitely get better and better yeah which is fantastic and it it is hard for a lot of people to practice those emotional regulations and how you know you do blame and victimize as you said all these different things but you're always in control of how you react Mm. to somebody's situation so it's a a big deal when you can have a relationship with your ex-partner or ex-wife or ex-husband or whoever it is um, which is fantastic. So is that how you got into profiling? That situation well, it itself? Was, how did you get into profiling? It was that and a whole bunch of others. It was the fact that my father died when I was three. So I um, grew up with my mother and sister. Didn't really fit in the household. As I got older, um, I ended up joining the Postmaster General's Department, the old PMG, which was before Telstra, which was before, you know, Telecom was before that. And... Um, I'd uh, finished my training with them at the age of 23, left Sydney and came to Newcastle, where I was uh, put in charge of a group of men. My second in charge was 38. I'm 23, so 15 years difference. And everybody else in the team were older than me. And that was when I first had to start to understand people and get them on side. Mm-hmm. And then in my uh, mid-30s, I joined the uh, surf club and uh, did my bronze medallion. They taught me to be a patrol captain and I found out why. They gave me everybody that nobody else wanted in the squad. And I turned that into the patrol of the year. And because mm. of that, they then talked me into being the club captain. 
And over the next uh, year, I was zone supervisor of three beaches. Same oh, age wow. as everybody else, but now I'd only been there five minutes in their estimation because they'd been there since I were young nippers and mm. did their original training as kids. Mm. So I had to get them on site because now I'm telling them what to do and they're the ones with more experience than me. Mm. And as I said, my uh, first wife left in my, um, when I was in my late 30s and I've been through a lot of relationships, business partners who emptied the bank out and I thought, I've got to learn to read people. And so I started learning new skills and put, applied new things. And it was my second um, marriage. It was only a short one. And that one, I knew things weren't going well. But um, when uh, my wife walked up and said, well, she wanted to leave as well, that uh, floored me. And I thought after that, I have got to uh, learn how to read people more effectively. So back in those days, I was, had my NLP masters. I was a massage therapist, worked at color therapies, aroma therapies, um, and sound therapies, and also had... Um, my Reiki masters as well. But I was also using psychometric profiling and there was yeah, a company right. that taught currency trading and none of their students made any money. That's why they got me to come in. Mm -hmm. And we profile people using Myers-Briggs and DISC and other profiling systems. And when we started training them, they didn't fit their profiles. Mm -hmm. And so I you know, asked a few of them, you know, why did you come up with this profile? How did you come up with this when you behave this way? Because especially when they put their money on the table, their personality comes out. But they were trying to second guess what sort of a profile do I need to be to be a good trader? And I went, no, we need to know yours because your buttons will get pushed and you'll behave straight back to your old personality. And I was helping a friend run a spiritual retreat where I was doing the uh, presentation and it was on uh, reading people. It was all about the psychometric profiling. And a gentleman walked up to me at the end of the day and said, you ever looked at reading faces? That was about 2008. And, uh, so I started researching that, found Paul Ekman in America who did all the research on the micro expressions, little mm -hmm. twitches on your face to give away your personality, or sorry, give away your emotions. Mm -hmm. And a lady um, who taught uh, the facial features, Naomi Tickle, who became a good friend over the years. And she taught me how facial features, reading those will tell me the personality. Mm -hmm. And then the micro expressions and body language will tell me the person's emotions. And very quickly, you can put it together and work out somebody's character as well. Wow, fascinating. You know, it was mm. going through my mind just then. A couple times that you you and I've spoken, I'm thinking, I wonder what he was profiling if he was profiling me. <laughs> <laughs> well, just quickly for those that are listening, because they may think that you know, facial features is a bit woo-woo, you know, new age, where is this coming from? It is a science and art, as the science says behind me. Yeah. What it comes down to is if you lift weights, you build muscles. And we also know the micro expressions, the body language, everything you feel inside, we express outwardly. So if you feel anger, you're going to have an angry look on your face. The body's going to take that stance as well. Mm -hmm. So if you concentrate and think in a certain way, you, you, know, you do what I'm doing here and you pull your eyebrows together and everything else, you're going to build ridges and crevices on your face mm -hmm. to give away how you like to think and process. That's your personality. So once I've got that, I then know, and knowing where I am on the scale, so I know myself, I know where you fit, I then know how to change the way I like to be spoken to to match the way you want to be spoken to. Mm. And then I've got the language right. I don't assume that I've got 100% right. I'll be looking for your body language and expressions that are coming back when I'm talking to you. Mm. And now I've got your, as I said, I've got your emotions. Mm. I know whether I've connected with you. And while you're talking to me, I know if you're telling the truth. Mm. But I use all the 
the lie detection side of it, not as a lie detector, but as a truth seeker. I want to know what's going on. I don't want to catch you out and say, oh, you're a liar. Mm -hmm. If there's something emotional going on, I want to pick that up Mm -hmm. because why I profile people is to build a stronger relationship with them. Mm-hmm. And because so it's all I for focus, the positive, it's not for the negative. Yeah, as they yeah. say, I do it for good, not for evil. Yes, yes, that's much better. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Mm. Well, that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Well, see, the more I can read and understand you, the better I can then talk to you in the way that you want to be spoken to, and the better relationship we have. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when I'm profiling somebody, it's not for any manipulation, other than to understand the person and know how much information to give them. Because I know if I walk up to you and meet you for the first time in real life, you're more discerning. You like to check out who's safe to be around and who's not safe to be around. Mm. Some people are very friendly and they'll just come up and stand really close to you. Other people, again, are even more so than you. They'll stand right back Mm. and they'll take longer. But once they've worked out who's safe to be around, they're as friendly as anybody else. So with that, I know not to invade your space. And so I give you some space. You can then concentrate on what I'm saying instead of feeling uncomfortable because I'm standing too close mm. and we can connect better. Mm. It's about building relationships, not about anything else. Mm. Which is very powerful um, mm. in, in a relationship with yourself and plus relationship with other people. So the more you got to know yourself as a 30 some odd and going through single fatherhood and all these sort of things, and then going through all your NLP and different things that you went through in your life, that, that helped you form better yeah. relationships. Is that correct? That's it. I've worked in just about every industry you can think of as well. And everyone says to me, oh, Alan, you've, you've done all these different things. When are you going to do one thing? And I go, I have been doing one thing all my life. Mm-hmm. And that was building relationships, understanding people. Mm-hmm. So you might say all those decades that have led up to this point, I've been doing research in how to uh, connect and build relationships more effectively. Mm-hmm. And so it's been a continual process. So everything, all the different modalities, this is why I can, somebody comes up to me and talks, talks about something new. I go, okay, tell me about it. I don't turn around and go, oh, I don't need to know that. Because as they say, the most important thing I'll ever learn is the next thing I learn after I think I know everything. Yeah, uh, very true. And I never want to stop learning. I'll, I'll be learning until the, die, the, the day that I die. And that way I can always grow. There's so many opportunities and things you miss when you think you know everything. 100%. 100% correct. I I definitely agree with that. Keep learning until you die. That's just fantastic. I did want to bring something up. So I have been researching you a little bit. And there was something that caught my eye was um, it said the leading authority on reading faces globally, the UK Guardian that about you how that does was that in correspondence. yeah how does that make you feel what was what was that in regard it made me feel at first i'll tell you the truth it made me feel like imposter syndrome just raged i'm thinking they're saying that about me see it's about the same time that disney films and gillette had got in touch with me their public relations company that they were working with they were launching the Star Wars Rogue One movie. They were launching all the new outfits and Gillette would use all the, um, all the players in their new, uh, uh, what do you call it, um, razor ad. And mm-hmm. so 
I, you got in touch with me and said, we've seen one of your videos on YouTube because that, that blew me away. That got to about 700,000 views. It's now getting closer to a million. But, oh, wow. um, they said, oh, we saw that and we've been following you on uh, social media and we would like you to come to London to be interviewed by the world's press to explain to them the stories the face tells before you utter a single word. And I went, you're asking me from Australia. I said, Alan Pease and other professionals who have been in the game a lot longer than me. And they went, no, no, it's going to be you or we're not doing it. You now that segment will be dropped. Oh. And I went, okay. And um, so all of that, you know, now I'm really sweating uh, bullets, so to speak, because I've now got this image of what I've got to uh, measure up to. Mm. And so when I got over there and that, I was as nervous as anything. But my job was, um, was virtually a 10-day holiday from away from Australia, biggest fee I'd ever charged, but uh, to do three hours work. And in that three hours work, I just did what I'm really good at. As soon as the journalist asked me about it, I just started profiling them. I spent three hours profiling everybody in front of me. <laughs> to everybody's okay. amazement and agreement, including yeah. from their um, associates, that I'd nailed every one of them. Wow. And so I then started to um, uh, realise that, yes, I am one of the, uh, the best when it comes to the profiling system. In fact, the system I've put together is using all those different modalities that come into one, and I'm the only person globally who's using it. It's, mm -hmm. you know, I've created rapid rate profiling. Yeah. At the moment, my target is to create and train my competition. We need more people doing it, and they've got to be doing it right. And I believe I've got a moral obligation to train those people who want to learn. Yeah, right. Wow. Fascinating. So it was really a privilege and an honor, was it? Or you just were who you were that, that day? Well, once I started uh, doing what I do in profiling and talking to them, I was just me. Yeah, mm -hmm. Because once I get into that, I get so focused on the other people. You know, it's like if I go out on stage, I'm as nervous as anything. I've been in front of lots of people. But every time I go to talk to people, even on a webinar, I've got butterflies going. Mm. But once I start talking, and especially if I can see the people, see, if I've got them on Zoom, for instance, there might be 30 people on screen or 40 people, I can still profile their faces as small as they are. Mm. And I'll pick people out in the, um, in the screen, start talking about them, get them to put their microphones on, and get their, their feedback. And I then pull somebody else out and talk about the opposite traits and how they should talk to each other. So every workshop I do is uh, not just me up on stage talking to people, but it's a definite uh, experience for everybody involved. And in that role, I just seem to slip into that and I just you know, forget about the fact that, hey, all eyes are on me and I'm, you know, all the nervousness is gone. Oh, yeah, that's actually a good point. I must say a lot of probably presenters get like that, but if you're good at what you do and you just interact with that person in front of you and build that relationship, it just feels like a human to human contact, doesn't it? So if any of the listeners do presentations and things and they worry about, or they feel it, you know, the old imposter syndrome, mm -hmm. to not feel imposter syndrome means that you're all about yourself. When you feel imposter syndrome, you're doing it because you you want to make sure that you do value by the people who are watching. So you're focusing on the people for the right reason. Mm. So if, no matter how good you're going to be, there's always going to be that little fear of imposter syndrome. Or there'll be a little bit of nervousness because we want to make sure that we give full value to people. And the mm. more you focus on people, the more you're going to feel that. Mm. As I say to people who um, don't think they're good enough, I usually say to them, well, get over it. And those that think they are too good, get over yourself. Uh -huh, yes. 
I have to agree with you there. I must say I was one of those people. I needed to get over myself a long time ago <laughs> so I could do podcasts and I could present as well. So I, I totally understand where um, those people are coming from, for sure. Yeah. You say, if you care about people, you know, don't sweat it. Take the pressure off yourself. Mm. You know, think about, well, you know, the people who are listening to you, do they know as much as you? No, they don't. That's why they're there listening. Mm -hmm. So you're the expert in that particular point of time. They're there to listen to you. Okay, then the next thing is, I just want to make sure I deliver this in a way in which they can all understand it. Mm -hmm. The luck of, uh, with my business, I can look around the audience and know exactly, if I'm looking at any given person, know exactly what to say to each one. Mm -hmm. how to change it you know i know whether they're more analytical or whether they just want the overview whether they're you know more laid back i know when i'm talking to them how much information is going to switch them off and how much information they're going to be thirsty for mm. and i just change my conversation as i look around the room mm. perfect yeah and that's a great profile there mm. straight away because you're reading people and everybody's different you know an analytical person mm. Versus somebody that just talks about relationships all day long. They're two completely different people, but that's, fa that's fascinating. Thank you for sharing that, Alan. Appreciate that. Um, so you have something called the Campfire Project. And I know a little bit about it, but can you tell our listeners and viewers on what it is exactly and why you're so passionate about it? Well, when I was talking, especially to men in business, you know, you know, doing the profiling work, I was always asking them because there was nervousness and everything else. And they were telling me that they were uncertain. They were confused. And I said, confused with what? And they said, well, we don't know our role in the family. You know, we thought it was to go out, pay the mortgage, bring all, you know, earn the money and bring it back. But now we're in trouble because we're not there often enough. We're absent or we're focused on our business and everything. And they go, we don't know where to be at home, be at work or whatever. And in the workplace, we didn't know our role there with the gender equality and everything else, you know, uh, political correctness and all this. You know, we're, fear we're fearful of opening our mouth and saying the wrong thing. And I went, okay, one of the biggest problem with men, if they're unable to talk, there's going to be a build-up of frustration. When there's a build-up of frustration, that's when violence can happen. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, right, if we want to reduce domestic violence and things like that and bullying... We're not going to reduce it by working on those things, but work on the cause of them. And mm -hmm. so I thought, right, men needed a safe place where they could come and sit and be able to give themselves permission to tell their stories. Mm -hmm. But I realised that I didn't want just another men's group because just like a motivational uh, seminars, you go along to those, you get all hyped up, you go home mm -hmm. and the people around you, et cetera, tell you, no, that won't work or whatever. And you get put down and then you're waiting for the next seminar. And I could see the same thing happening with, you know, not all the men's groups, but a number of them. Mm -hmm. And I thought, right, the men would go back out into the cold world where they would then get both male and female trolls putting them down. So they'd rush back to the men's group. And I thought, right, let's have some women in there from day one. So I had women in the campfire project from day one. So that for two reasons. One, so that the men then could share their stories and, the, and talk to the women down the track. But mm -hmm. first of all, for the women be able to hear how men can speak when they feel safe enough to open up. Mm -hmm. And the men opened up and after about six months, because it's been running for two and a half years, six months into it, I then brought the men into panel discussions and we talked about all sorts of issues. So four of us on screen on Zoom. Mm -hmm. and we did it on Zoom because men were all over the world. 
And then um, that's when the, uh, the women were sending me personal messages saying, never heard men talk this way before. We love it. We want yeah. to talk to them as well. Can we get in the conversations? They said, how do we do it? And I said, put your hand up. So they did. I started interviewing the women one-on-one, -on -one, brought the women into the panel discussions. In two and a half years, we've had about 250 one-on-one -on -one discussions. About 60% of those have been with men. The other 40% were women. Uh -huh. Then uh, with the panel discussions, I've run 95 panel discussions uh, uh -huh. with men and women in them. And we've got uh, one of the other uh, young guys in the uh, group. He's running a Facebook Live on Thursday where he's doing panel discussions there. We've got about 35 panel discussions with, these, with his. So uh -huh. about 140, um, or over 130 panel discussions in total. And that number is always increasing. And about 400 hours of uh, video interviews and discussions in total. And not once have we had any man or any woman rude to anybody else in the group. The Amazing. men and women are talking, they're having great conversations and they're really working together. So when you build a community where people engage and respect each other, you've gotten rid of racism, you've got rid of uh, bigotry, sexism, everything you can think of is gone. Mm -hmm. And it's done with virtually the click of the fingers. Mm. So I started this because I knew that Me Too started in 2003 absolutely necessary at time because of the abuse against uh, women. Mm -hmm. Over time though, there were some false accusations that were made here and there because not everyone's perfect. And so then we had Men Too started in 2018. Now you've got, they've both got a, a task that they're trying to do, but they're not on the same wavelength. So there's going to be battles and everything else. Mm -hmm. It's like we have International Men's Day and International Men's Day was banned in a lot of locations, but we are also supporting International Women's Day. Mm -hmm. you know, That's right. Yeah. We'll be supporting both. And so, so I thought, right. Mm. Yeah. So get rid of the different little groups in the way I was looking at things and turn it into a hashtag we together I created, mm -hmm. which means when we're standing shoulder to shoulder, men and women, all different genders, all cultures and everything else, all looking in the same direction at the problem, we're all fixing the problems. We're not looking at each other. We're not blaming each other. Mm. And it's when you get into that situation, that's when you can not only have, you know, uh, good conversations, but you have thoughtful conversations, you have respectful conversations. Mm. And I always say to people, yes, you've got two, e two ears and one mouth, but you've also got two eyes. So two mm. eyes, two ears, one mouth, use them in that proportion and listen mm. generously to the other person. And if you don't understand anything, you think, oh, are they having a go at me or whatever? Ask them, what did you actually mean by that? Now, I don't know how that works. Explain to me so I understand. So mm. you ask the question with that curiosity of wanting to know. And in that conversation where you may have disagreed with their view, all of a sudden you understand more about them. They understand more about you. You may change your idea on it. They might change their idea completely as well. But you're not going to do that unless you're talking and communicating together. Yeah, definitely. Amazing. There's so many great points and all that. I wanted to take notes while you were doing that. I was <laughs> mentally taking notes there, but there was just a few things that I just heard from you and they were just everyone joining together, whether you're male or female communicating and just instead of being, uh, you didn't usually, you didn't use the word defensive, but what I was thinking is some people do get defensive. And as you said at the beginning, um, victimized and things like that, instead of feeling that way, asking open-ended questions and being mm, curious and mm. instead. Said, yeah. The people I've interviewed have been 
also, we've had uh, people who have transitioned from male to female, from female to male, all walks of life, all different types of backgrounds and everything else. We're all different, but some of our aspirations, there's similarities in there. But I'm extremely greedy. I get to listen to every one of them and I come out of there with extra knowledge, better understanding. I always walk away, no matter how tired I am when I go into one of those interviews, I come out energised. Mm. Because those stories, you know, and people say to me, Bob, but I don't have a, a, a big story. I go, you're unique. There's nobody else in the world like you. Everybody else is, you know, everyone's different to everybody else. Mm. And so if you have a story, it's important. It's a story, therefore, I love to listen to it. And when they share their stories, I usually have at the end of it, after we've finished recording, I go, and you reckon you didn't have a story. <laughs> Get over like, it. Once you start talking, you just keep yeah. going, don't you? And people yeah. don't realise it, which is fantastic yeah. because people, everyone has a story. And that's, yeah. and that's and the so passion of connections, from. isn't it? With relationships. It. Yeah, so much wisdom that people don't realise how much they know until they actually share it with somebody. As you say, you can go away and learn all your life, but until you apply it, you never know how well you've learned. Mm -hmm. You never have that confidence with it. Mm -hmm. So telling your story and everything else, first of all, if you've been through tough times and everything else, who have you shared it with? Well, you haven't because you've been too afraid because people will put you down and everything else. Mm -hmm. Most men, we grew up, especially in my era, boys don't cry. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, don't, don't get me watching even some of the cartoons and that I might watch a cartoon. There's something sad in there. I'll be crying. I'm a big girl. Yeah. The tears will flow. Yeah, almost got myself into trouble there with that comment comparing. <laughs> that's, yeah. uh, that's okay. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I will, I'll, I feel emotion. It's one of my personality traits. I'm very empathetic and connected. So I feel things. So all my life I was told to shut it down, mm-hmm. disconnected me from everybody. Mm. So, if I had understood that earlier on, the real strength in anyone is to be able to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Like the men who are trying to be the man, what a waste of time. Mm-hmm. I want to be a man, the best version of myself. And while I'm doing that, who do I want around me? Mm-hmm. Other men and women who want to be the best version of themselves. Mm-hmm. If I want to be the man, I've got in competition with everybody and it's a lonely place to be. Definitely. And so... This way I can then sit and I can laugh and I can cry and I can do everything else with other people and feel um, safety in the people I have around me. And that's what the Campfire Project does. It provides that safe place mm-hmm. that people can start to experience that and then start to uh, live it. Oh, beautiful. I love everything about that. And I love everything about the Campfire Project and your, your mission in, in that. And I know a few men that have... Uh, some of the men that have been interviewed and it's been absolutely unreal. I haven't seen a lot of them, but I have seen some of them. So in saying all this, we are running out of time, but how can people connect with you um, with the campfire project and your profiling background? If you have any tips and tricks for the listeners and the viewers. Yeah. Well, one of the things I would say the campfire project, just do a search on the campfire project Mm -hmm. uh, and you'll find it in there. Uh, you can always go to my personal um, Facebook page, which will um, has ads on there as well. I talk about the Campfire Project, yep. about the profiling side of things and more about the business side. My um, website, which is in my name, which is alanstevens.com.au. So Alan with one L, A-L-A-N, and Stevens with a V. Mm-hmm. And uh, for those that want to uh, 
you know, learn a little bit more about the profiling and just give it a bit of a try in their own um, uh, privacy. Uh, I've got a free download that um, they can pull down from the um, off the website. It's the website again, forward slash seven secrets, and it'll teach them, it'll show them how the, um, again, a bit more detail about how this works. And uh, from there, there's a few things I'll be able to go and test and try for themselves. Beautiful. And if they like that, then come back and talk to me. Fantastic, Alan. We've got courses up there for all walks of life. We've got them there for parents, parenting, business, personal relationships, there's mm. a whole mass of stuff they can find. Yeah, yes. you're a wealth of knowledge, Alan. And I will um, put all those details that you've just said, your website and the profiling tips and also the Campfire Project all below so everyone can contact you if they'd like to contact you and do that free download, which is very generous of you. So thank you for that. My pleasure. And uh, yes, uh, one more question for um, you. And that would be if you'd like anyone to get something from this podcast that we've done together, what would it be? Well, first thing is be gentle on yourself. First of all, be your best friend. And in that process, that puts you in the better position than to be able to connect with other people. But remember, what you do for yourself dies with you, but what you do for others and for the community is and always will be eternal. We get to where we're going with people, not on our own. We go there with company. Perfect. Beautiful. I'm going to leave it at that. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Alan, lovely to speak to you. Bye for now. It's Sean Matthews, The Real Deal. Take care, everyone.